Hey there, I'm Beth McEntee and welcome to Inside Intercom. This week, we're bringing you an episode from the archives, taking a look back at some of the standout conversations we've had over the years. We're revisiting this episode with Rick Nucci, CEO of the fast-growing knowledge management startup Guru, who chatted to our Senior Director of Customer Support, Caitlin Pedersen, and shared some great insights for anyone who's looking to grow their product and build a world-class customer experience. With customer expectations at an all-time high, the difference between a good and bad customer experience can be make or break for a business. Our conversation with Rick touches on a wide variety of topics in the CX space, including how he thinks about improving the customer experience, why it starts with greater alignment across internal teams, and when and how businesses should use automation to scale marketing, sales, and support interactions with the customer. Rick also shares valuable advice for other startup founders looking to find traction and product market fit. If you enjoy our conversation with Rick, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your podcast player of choice and check out our other interviews. Rick, welcome to Inside Intercom. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to be here. I'm super, super excited to be chatting with you today. Awesome. All right. So, Rick, tell us about your career and how you came to found Guru. Yeah, absolutely. So Guru was born out of a, a pain that I personally lived uh, at, at my last startup. So I began at a, a fairly young age, starting Boomi back in 2000. Boomi is a cloud integration company that I worked on and uh, built for 10 years and was acquired by Dell in 2010. And then uh, stayed with Dell for three years and left to start Guru in 2013. And, and as I mentioned, you know, myself and Mitch, my co-founder and CTO who ran engineering at Boomi, you know, we, we lived the pain that Guru now solves. And as we both dealt with our, our own pain and then looked at how other businesses try to solve, you know, getting the right knowledge to the right person at the right time, we were just amazed at how you know, unsolved of a problem this is for companies and just got really excited about the opportunity. It's great to hear. So, you know, Guru's been around since 2013. And as you mentioned, this is your second startup journey. So kudos. Uh, would love to hear what the journey has been like the second time around. And, and for Guru, you know, how did you all get to product market fit? Yes, there's a great analogy that I heard that when you're pre-product market fit, you can feel like you're in a desert. And when you're in a desert and you're walking a certain direction, you don't actually know if you're going deeper into the desert (laughs) or actually getting out to the oasis, right? Getting out to the the water, the promised land. And I think that's right. I think, you know, when folks will will ask, you know, you know, the the second time around and, and what that's like, kind of the first part of your question there. And finding product market fit, at least for me, doesn't feel any easier the second time around. And so I think like, you know, as we were starting Guru and we were doing our customer discovery, there was a lot of things and concepts that we were really excited about that weren't really kind of figured out yet or were very, you know, blue ocean. Like, and just to give you one fairly tactical example, you know, one of the the most common ways people use Guru is through our browser extension. And so if you go back to 2014, when we were, you know, building that part of our product, it was kind of wild west back then as far as browser extensions go, right? I mean, I think they were being used fairly prevalently for kind of personal things and kind of fun things, but there was just a handful of truly, you know, workplace designed extensions. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, work that goes into like, 
there's not a whole lot of analogies to draw inspiration from. It's a lot of paving your own road kind of kind of work, which in hindsight felt like it just took a long time. But I think where we got and where we found early fit or, or maybe that like first fit and where we found progress and it felt like things started moving really quickly was honing in on initially it was growing sales teams, you know, very, very focused. And even within growing sales teams, we started with high tech products. So sales teams selling high tech products. And, you know, again, that that was the boomy sales team. So I had sort of personally related to that. But as we were talking to other sales teams that fit that profile, you just heard the same things over and over again, right? And, and it's a product person's dream when you can be in that situation and, and hear the same pains articulated in pretty similar ways. And that allowed us to move pretty quickly. I mean, it, you know, knowledge is such, it, it's a problem that every knowledge worker has in every company and every size. So it's tempting to try to go wide, right? It's tempting to try to build something for the lowest common denominator. And I sure. think we decided early on, owe it to ourselves to have conviction on a very sort of deliberate persona. And I, I can talk more about how that shaped our thinking over the years. But but I think getting that initial moment and then building for that persona and really dedicating to that and then really, really focusing on, for us, it was, you know, Dow Mouth. So of our monthly active users, how many are using the product daily? Whatever that North Star engagement metric is, really holding ourselves to that and saying, hey, like before we try to go any further, product-wise and market-wise, you know, we need to prove to ourselves that that Guru will be a product that this persona will build a daily habit around. And I think holding ourselves to that just made finding the next 100 customers so much easier because it just hit, right? It just hit, and the likelihood sure. that they were going to build a habit and engage was really, really good. And so that was like, I would say that was sort of one of our first like aha moments or, or, yep. or revelations. Yep, that makes sense. Through great focus came a great reward. So speaking of those different profiles, it sounds like you really focused in on sales to start, but, you know, Guru today really seems to have expanded that to think intentionally about marketing, sales, and support, and success teams as revenue teams. So, you know, when did that distinction come about? Why is that important for for you guys? Yeah, for sure. So that came about in around 2016, and we started to realize um, really two things. One, which is not, not to try to be too clever, we just saw support teams adopting the product and having a lot of success. And so, so we leaned into that, right? And, that, and that's a, a fairly obvious uh, kind of thing. We could sort of see them using it and having success. But I think we started to dig in and go like, why? Like, what is the pain? How is it different from what sales, sales teams are dealing with? And realize it's, it's really all the same pain. And, and in fact, in, in some ways, a more intense pain. And, and to be clear, to give an example, right? Like, if you think about a, a customer service agent and how how they spend their day constantly in customer conversations and how they are constantly wanting to have the confident feeling of being able to provide their customer the right answer quickly right i mean that's that's such yeah. a a core part of the of the job and what and what gets them feeling good about their job and their success on the job and they face the same struggles that, that sales reps face, and it is as impactful in a different way. And so that was the first thing is we sort of observed that and understood that. So, okay, really, it's, it's, it's very much the same. It varies in that 
the way a, a customer service person spends their day is different than a salesperson. Um, when you really get into their workflows and the tools they use to do their job, which matters a lot for Guru and how we design our products. But again, core pain similar. So that was point, point one. Point two, um, and why we, we've gone on to talk about this as the revenue team more and more is um, – you know, I think we're seeing a shift in the industry, right? I think the advent of the subscription economy and the way that people buy and use products means that the interaction with the salesperson is the start of the relationship with the customer, not the end. And that the actual most enduring relationship with the customer comes through the customer success and customer service teams. And they actually play a big role in revenue, right? And I think that historically, we've always talked about these roles as being costs to the business, I think the businesses that we've started to see that take Guru into their companies, the really exciting part is they don't think of themselves as a cost. They think of themselves as impacting revenue. And I can certainly share more on how they actually go about, you know, affecting that and, and, and materializing that within their businesses. But it's super inspiring when you dig into it because it's true. I mean, you can see the impact that these teams have on a customer's not only that they stay with you, but that they buy more from you, they upsell, they convert from free to paid plan, all of those things absolutely happen from great customer service, right? And so I think that we absolutely owe it to ourselves as an industry to call ourselves revenue teams because we are, right? Like not in a like transactional coin operated way are we revenue teams, but we deserve the same seat at the table as anyone else interacting with a customer. And that's why we like that phrase, you know, revenue team. Oh, absolutely. So as someone leading a customer support team, you're preaching to the preaching to the converted here. <laughs> you know, so I'm especially interested in how you think about that support experience. You know, and, and we very much share this common view that support should not be seen as a cost center, but rather with the right people, the right processes and the right technology and tools, it can actually drive revenue. So let's go a little deeper there, Rick. I'd love to hear, you know, what is your advice for leaders who you know, have come to realize that scaling their support team means doing a few things, uh, but not the least of which is turning their gaze to how this team might actually drive revenue. So what advice do you have for anyone that's sort of at that phase in their company? Absolutely. Yeah, great question. I think, first of all, it starts with changing the way you define your operational metrics as a customer service organization. So, Look, I completely understand why metrics like average handle time need to be part of the conversation. And they do, right? I think it's important. It's a it's a way to manage capacity for a growing customer service org. You want to know on average how long it takes to resolve issues. But I think looked at in isolation can be very, very dangerous because you don't always want to get the person off the call. You don't always want to close out the ticket as fast as possible. And that's why I think it can be dangerous to just look at that, right? We have customers, yeah. for example, who will literally teach their customer service teams to intentionally ask open-ended questions as calls are wrapping up. And the reason they're doing that is to get at the real why behind the ticket, right? Someone could write in tomorrow and say, hey, I need to know how to do this specific thing in your product. And as a dutiful customer service agent, you could be prompted to just go, oh, you go here, file, drop down, click this, choose that, thanks, and, and close the ticket and be like, cool, I closed that one really quick, I came in below average. But ask why. Why are they trying to do that? What, what are they really getting after? And I just hear story after story about when you asked the why, you got to the real thing. Oh, well, yeah, we're really struggling with getting 
uh, our team to adopt this part of your product. Oh, really? Why is that? Oh, well, they don't think that it's uh, a good way to actually do this or that. And oh, well, did you consider having them do that? Right? Like, and you could have a totally different conversation, right? That then than what it quote unquote, seemed like they wanted to do when they wrote into you, right? And so, yeah, so I think when you start with changing the metrics and how you measure success in that org, that's like step one, and you have to have like, it has to be CEO down, right? They have to buy into the concept because because if you don't do that, then the conversation is just going to keep being about cost and how much we have to spend when what it should be is, hey, we started asking this quarter all of our customer service agents to ask the following three open-ended questions at each call. And as a result, we saw CSAT go up or we saw premium to upsell conversion go from X percent to Y percent, right? So you, now you're starting to connect the team's performance to more revenue connected metrics, which I think is a, is a great start in changing the narrative. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. You know... I'm excited to jump into uh, the role that automation and AI plays in all this. I think uh, Guru certainly has big, big thoughts on this, and so do we. So how do we think about automation in helping businesses scale, right? Because most companies reach that point. They know they need to scale, but doing it can be hard, and sometimes it can be expensive, and that's where bad decisions can be made. So how do you think about using automation to scale a, a customer support team while keeping that customer experience uh, personal and in line with the, those CSAT scores as an example that a companies really come to pride themselves on? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the first and most important thing is to understand what automation can and cannot do for you as a company. Um, it's very tempting as a company to think about automating away the customer service experience and turning it into scripted responses and, and quote unquote bot conversations. And I'll talk about, I think the role they, those things play in a minute, but understanding what automation, what, what is and what is not possible. And I think the way that I always like to frame, and this is not just AI conversation for customer service, but I think the entire technology trend in the workplace 
is I think it always, always, always is better to think about how AI can make the humans in your company better at their jobs versus thinking about how AI can replace a human from doing their job. And I think that is the first and most important distinction in how the entire automation conversation, agenda, strategy will go from there. Because if you commit yourselves to thinking, how do I make humans better? The way you apply technology and automation will be fundamentally different. So for example, let's apply this to customer service. If you think about making them better at their job, you're going to be thinking about things like, okay, what do I want my customer service agent doing ideally with a customer? And what's a waste of their time? Well, things that waste their time are tagging tickets, looking up answers to FAQs, things that, that are you know analytical or data-driven intensive, like data entry in, in general, right? These are all things that are are non-productive or not contributing to those outcome metrics I talked about in the in our in our prior conversation, right? Versus if you go the other way, then all your conversations are going to go, okay, let's look at the conversations our customer service agents are having with our customers and let's think about how to just remove them from that entirely, right? And I think there's a role for that, which I'll talk about in a second, but I think you have to be really, really careful for, for, for two reasons. One, going back to my revenue team concept, right? Do you actually want that, right? I mean, do, you, do you, if, if you make customer service agents better at their job and they can do five more white glove moments this week than they were able to do last week, right? And a white glove moment would be that you did something for a customer that made them so excited that they were compelled to tweet about it or share, right? Like, like share that experience because they were so excited. You've got them for life because you did that, right? Isn't that worth more than the, the, the couple dollars you saved in, in automating away, right? And then the consequence of not being able to do that, right? And, and, and some automated experience that takes a customer who might already be elevated or emotional or frustrated and goes from, you know, zero to 60, right? And, and now, yeah. and now they're just mad because they're being greeted with something when they really just want to, want to talk to a human. And so I think framing it that way, how can we make humans better at our jobs? I think just sets the table in a really exciting and compelling way and can mean amazing things for customer service organizations. Absolutely. I think the key there, if I'm hearing you correct, is, you know, how do you keep the customer experience personal in an automated world where you let humans do the personal stuff, right? And you let the automation or the bots take care. I think I've heard you guys refer to it as like the low empathy situations where that human touch, yeah, yeah, where it's not not required. So let's go there, Rick. Let's talk about chatbots. I'd love to hear your opinion on these. Yeah, I mean, I think about it like this, right? I think there are, as someone seeking customer support, right, I'm going to go down two paths. Path one is I want to solve the problem myself. I don't want to talk to anyone. I want a quick answer. And that's the mode I'm in. And so as a technology provider and, and customer service team, how can we help you complete that quest? Path two I'm on is I don't believe I will get self-help for whatever reason in my head. I perceive my problem or my question to be too complicated to be able to look it up or solve it in some way. And therefore, I want to talk to a human. So I'm going to start a chat with them or, or call in. I think as long as the technology and the workflow and the usage of bots respects that logic tree I just described, wonderful, right? And I think that I've seen, well, we're an intercom customer here at Guru, and I see the way we've deployed OperatorBot here. 
it's wonderful because it doesn't break the chain of that path I went on. I think where you can really run into trouble is let's go back to my two path example. I want to talk to a human that path, right? Because I don't believe I'm going to be able to just self help. When you see people take respond to that path by faking it, meaning putting a bot in front of that person who's on that path and is trying to get help to their problem. That's the danger path <laughs> because yeah. because because that's high empathy to your point. That's high empathy. There's something going on. There's a nuanced part to the problem. There's some complexity perceived or real where you really need a human involved and doing what humans do best. What, whether you want to call it just like CSAT or the white glove opportunity and that's the reason behind it. Great. The other practical reason behind it. AI is not at a place where it can simulate human empathy. It just isn't. And I think that yeah. people can fall into the trap thinking that it is. It's not. And so where I love to see bots deployed is, one, you know it's a bot. It's very, very clear that's what it is. Two, it's augmenting and helping. It's not getting in your way or blocking you from what you as the customer want to do. So I think that's like the, the logic path that I've seen uh, as I've seen customer service teams deploy technology and how we think about it here at Guru I think that's the path. Like if you if you follow that logic path, I think great. Um, you, you you can do amazing things. Yep. So honesty, really the the best policy there. So you know we're talking about scaling customer experience. We're talking about scaling support teams. The love is mutual. We are also avid uh, guru fans. I was chatting with a colleague about you know where were we when we realized that we needed a tool like Guru. So I'm curious, Rick, is the issue of outdated wikis or siloed knowledge bases only a problem for businesses that have, you know, hit scale or reached a certain size? You know, when do you think businesses should start thinking about a knowledge management solution? Yeah. Um, so I think what, whether it's size or scale or you're, or you're, you're hiring a lot of humans, you know, yeah, I think that's one. Because what we the way we think of ourselves and the way we talk about what we do is we create a network of knowledge. And so if you think about the connections between the people who need knowledge to do their jobs, let's say customer service agent, and the experts who have the answers to that, and that could be their managers, that could be product managers, product marketers, security teams, engineers, etc. We all know who's an expert in what across our, our company. It gets harder to know that as we scale. So that's sort of problem one. Problem two is it can be so easy and frictionless to talk to folks through chat and messaging, walk up to their desk and shoulder tap them, that you start to see the pain of not having a knowledge system when your teams grow. Because that customer-facing team is always going to outnumber the relative few subject matter experts um, by orders of magnitude. Yep. So, so that's what I think about. So the reason we call it a network is Guru connects the experts within a company to people who need that expertise. And we do it in a way where you don't have to directly shoulder tap, directly interact, directly ask uh, someone for help or an answer to a question. And what we find happens is you need that as that collaboration starts to really become painful. So it tends to be as you're growing, it tends to be as you're building and growing customer-facing teams. It tends to be as you're shipping product frequently, and with that product comes a whole raft of new knowledge that needs to be distilled out to the team. Those tend to be the drivers. Yep. So how big is this problem? Uh, what's your estimation for how much time is wasted by people having to hunt down information uh, internally? 
Yeah, I mean, mo- most of the studies, um, there's a famous one by McKinsey that gets quoted by a lot of people. It's over a day a week, however you however you slice it. Over a day a week of time is spent looking for answers, looking for knowledge. As knowledge workers, where we work in the trade of knowledge, right? We work in the trade of knowledge and expertise. We're constantly needing it to do our jobs for different ways and different reasons. And regardless of what job you're in, that's roughly the amount of time you're spending. And so and so then the exercise becomes, okay, well, what's the consequence of that? And the answer to the consequence of that depends on what your job is, right? If you're an engineer, it means that you're not doing what you want to be doing, which is writing code and solving technical problems. If you're a customer service agent, it means you're not spending as much time responding to your customer quickly with that answer that you really want to give them quickly. Uh, if you're a salesperson, it means that you know, your prospect is talking to you and probably two of your competitors. And every minute that goes by that you aren't giving them that answer, they're potentially getting it from your competitor, right? And so like the urgency and pain of that wasted day a week kind of thing starts to add up and become a tax. The reason why we call it a tax is, you know, it's so tempting to start to solve knowledge problems departmentally. But what, what happens when you solve it departmentally is you have a knowledge system for support and a different one for sales and a different one for HR and engineering has a different one that they use and management wants everyone using this thing and the poor customer service agent, every time that tax goes up, right? Because now I've got five places to go just to get my answers to do my job today, right? And so, so, so all, the, all the additional knowledge system is doing is just adding to that wasted day a week, right? And, and, and the toll keeps going up. Um, as you, uh, as you start with good intentions, right. But you end up, you know, you end up just, just sprawling and sprawling and sprawling. We had a customer at the end of last year who signed on and became a guru customer and they had, uh, roughly 600 sales AEs across the world and they surveyed them. And this is like one of their big decisions for like moving forward with guru. They surveyed them and they said, what tool or system do you use to get the knowledge you need to do your job? And they got all the survey responses, and then they aggregated how many distinct answers they got across those 600 sales reps. It was 68 systems, six, eight different systems that they were Uh-oh. using from notepads to wikis to Google Drive folders to a SharePoint site to you name it. <laughs> it was there. It was being used. And the sales leadership and the head of IT saw that and was like, oh, my God, we have to put an end to this immediately. But it just illustrates my point of, this stuff propagates out, right? And when it propagates out, it comes at the expense of the poor customer-facing employee who just wants to solve their customer problem. Absolutely. That just wants to do their job. It's amazing how in an effort to be more efficient and we implement tools to help us do that, and then the tools end up uh, getting in our way. So kind of bringing these concepts of automation together with the guru vision here. One thing that I think um, in terms of feature or position that was particularly interesting is this concept of using AI as well as just your general technology to to push information to people rather than them having to pull it through search terms. So yeah, I I think that that's a great way of articulating it. And I imagine something you guys have gotten positive feedback on. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our, our product vision and, and every town hall, what, what we say to the team is the knowledge you need to do your job should find you when you need it. And um, as you said, AI does play a huge role in that. And what we you know do in these situations is, is imagine a customer service team 
um, at scale, working all day, answering questions, using Guru in conjunction with customer chats or tickets, whatever the interaction with the customer might be, you know, Guru is learning from every moment of that happening. And what it allows us to do is proactively suggest knowledge Literally, as you're opening up and having a chat with a customer, Guru is signaling you, hey, I have an answer here that will help you in this conversation in this moment. And what's been amazing to see is, and it's very, very focused on those use cases, right? So we, we develop these AI models specific to customer service workflows, for, for example, intercom and how we augment the, the intercom conversation. And then we have different ones for sales teams and, and specific use cases. It takes about a month for the system to train and, and, and get accurate. And then after that month, 75% of the time that Guru tells you it has a suggestion for you, you go ahead and use it because we, we actually can see that closed loop. We can see if you went and, went and used our suggestion in a customer conversation. 75% of the time when we give you a suggestion, it happens. And that's been really exciting and amazing to see because I think that's an accuracy level that's high enough that you'll you'll trust it. You, you'll keep coming back and looking, you know, you can kind of tolerate that, that we might get it wrong 25% of the time, but it's, it's right that often that you get, you get really excited. And like, we, we were blown away seeing that. So that was sort of a, it was sort of a revelation. I think we, we, we saw that hit, you know, last year, um, as we, uh, as we were just making our models better and making the technology better. And, and now to see it has just been, been really exciting. Cause it, it is a, as you said, a, like a core part of the product vision for sure. Great. So that's where we are today, but what comes next for the Guru team? I hear you have an upcoming book coming out. Would love to hear what's on the horizon. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a couple fun things happening. I mean, just from a, from a product perspective, I mean, you can think of, of that vision I just said. The knowledge you need to do your job should find you when you need it. That is an intentionally broad statement. I think over time, we'll continue learning about how our customers use Guru today, and the tangential lines of additional use cases. And because again, I, it's it's a network, right? You're connecting people together with knowledge. That's how our customers use us. So inevitably, you'll start seeing more and more groups pop into Guru and start using it. Well, as those groups pop in, much like we've done for sales and customer service teams, we will we will deeply want to understand those workflows. What does the what knowledge do you need to do your job? Because it's different if you're an engineer or an HR person or a recruiter than it is if you're a customer service agent. So understanding those workflows, the nuances of how you spend your day, how can the knowledge you need find you? It's it's the same problem, but a different answer, a different nuance. So that's a good way to think about how Guru will continue to evolve our product and continue to add um, value to our customers. And then yes, you talked about the book. Yeah, we will in May be coming out with an ebook that talks about the AI opportunity, but really goes into and frames the, the notion of how AI can make humans better at their jobs. And so the book was born out of many, many conversations we've had with customers where it'll go something like, they'll say, uh, okay, I'm with you. I, I want to think about how to apply AI to make humans better at their jobs, not automate away departments within my company. Like now what? Like, help me do that. Like, how, how should I actually start thinking about that? And so the goal with the book is that it's, it gives you tactical things that you can take into your company and help drive those conversations and help identify 
projects and help identify areas to apply AI. So it it's it's both like a distillation of like things we learned as a company building our own AI technology. It is very hard to do. It is very different than traditional software engineering. So how did we learn it? How did we focus? How did we think about building models that would actually work and be accurate? Um, and then also like organizational, like philosophical ways to set 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 conversations. So we're really excited about it because again, I think it's it's really just reflective of conversations we've been having over the last year and a half, and so uh, I'm I'm excited about. It. So yeah, that'll be out in May in ebook form, and and then we'll go to um, hard copy this fall. And so if that wasn't enough, it sounds like you guys are also throwing together a conference in your backyard in Philly, if I've got that right, uh, Philadelphia, called Empower 2019. So can you give us a plug on that one? Yes, absolutely. You can uh, learn more about it at empower.getguru.com. But the whole idea with this show is to bring together these revenue teams. So we are bringing together leaders of any team that is working directly with a customer, sales, customer success, customer service, for two days of tactical, hands-on, best practice in community development. So how can I, as a customer success leader or customer service leader, start to think about changing the conversation to be more revenue-driven than cost-driven, right? Just to point back to an earlier conversation we had here, and we'll hear from great folks who do that, right? I'm, I'm super excited. For example, I'll be doing a Q&A with Marcy Murray, who's director of support at Shopify, who is such a thought leader on all of this stuff and how to change this conversation and narrative. And that's a lot of what, what we'll be talking about. Uh, and by, by we, I mean she. I'll be listening and learning. She'll be the one actually sharing all of the, the learnings and best practices. And so it's, it's a gr- it really is a great set of speakers from great brands and companies, everyone from um, Slack and Google and uh, Shopify, as I mentioned, and Square. So it's it's going to be a great two days. And of course, uh, added benefit is Philadelphia, as I always say, is the, the product is much better than the brand. And so I'm also excited for all these folks to come into Philly and check out everything going on in this city because there's so much great stuff happening. It's not just uh, cheesesteaks and, and, and Rocky and, and Liberty Bell. So there's also, uh, also that um, added bonus. But uh, in all seriousness, I think it's going to be a really informative um, two days for sure. And that's um, May 7th to 9th. Sounds great. So, Rick, I think it is time just to thank you so, so much for your time today. It's been a blast hearing all about Guru, Empower, how you guys think about automation and scaling uh, revenue teams. So thank you so, so much. Uh, would love to hear where people can keep up with you. Yeah, absolutely. Our our website is simply getguru.com, and my Twitter is just at Rick Nucci. And uh, I uh, appreciate uh, any and all interaction. So, so uh, thank you for that. Great. All right, Rick. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.